and welcome back to the next stop is the best stop podcast thanks for joining us uh this afternoon i have the pleasure of introducing someone on our show today who's a dear friend of mine uh she we met in los angeles uh and she has been so much of a good friend since we met back in 2002 um, I brought her on as a part of our Gen X series, really talking to the generation that gets forgotten. But there's another reason, and it's a great reason I did, we did not plan this, uh, for us to talk to this young lady today. Uh, and that's due to the actor's strike ending, I believe yesterday, I might be wrong. Uh, and, you know, a couple of weeks before that, the writer's strike ending. So this is so uh, uh, just poignant to have her on at this moment. This young lady has had uh, a very, very successful career in writing in Hollywood. Uh, I want our audience to get uh, a glimpse into what's that, what that is like. She is also, um, you know, from the Midwest, uh, not from California. So what does that look like transforming your life on the West Coast? Um, what's it like living in LA and dating in LA? I think both of us can dive into that conversation. Uh, and also, we may touch on things that she's done in her life that many of us will not get a glimpse into. And so I want you to understand what she's bringing to the table this afternoon. Um, I'm so glad to have her on. Jason and I are just ecstatic. I've been meaning to have her on for a long time. So please help me welcome my dear friend, Ayana Floyd. Yay! All right. <laughs> Welcome aboard. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Thank you guys for having me. This is so cute. I love it. <laughs> yeah, she says I'm always into something, which is is definitely true. Um, yeah, Ayana, I call Ayana, so you guys are gonna hear me get, call her nickname. But really, I really want the audience to understand one who you are, what made you the writer that you are. Uh, what made you want to be a writer? Tell us a little bit about your beginning in uh, Toledo, Ohio, if you would. Ooh, that's a big question. What made me want to be a writer? I don't know. I stumbled into it. I um okay. I I started off wanting to be. Well, the big joke in my family is I started off wanting to work at McDonald's <laughs> <laughs> because I had a favorite cousin who I loved, who worked at McDonald's. And so when they asked me, what do you want to do when you grow up? I said, work at McDonald's. And my mother was like, uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, that transitioned into um, nursing. I wanted to be a nurse. Oh, wow. But then I, yeah. And then I got to college and um, I started to journal a lot in college. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, just thoughts that I was having, experiences that I was having that just made me start journaling. And um, somewhere in there, writing just became really therapeutic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I took a black theater writing class. Oh. Um, yeah, and that just opened the door to, oh, wow, like there are black writers um, who are funny and distinguished and profound, like these great American authors that I had never heard of. Um and that just opened a whole new world to like, oh, you can do this for a living. Because mm. I, I went to public school, so. Okay. Yeah. Um, and not a great public school. I mean, it was great socially. It mm-hmm. just wasn't great academically. Because right. I got bored easily and I was artistic. And mm-hmm. looking back on it, I just don't think it fed me. Right. But, um, yeah, so I didn't, I wasn't challenged to read a lot or mm-hmm. to explore. So that was like opening my eyes to a whole new world and. 
So mm. that led me to writing a play. Oh, wow. Um, and I see here, yeah. I forgot to mention to the audience that you went to Eastern Michigan University and majored mm-hmm. in journalism um, as an yeah. undergraduate. And then you went on to Columbia College uh, in Chicago with a master's in fine arts. So yes. that's pretty yeah. awesome. So did you start your college career in journalism or, you know, by sophomore year, you were like, you know what, let me change. Yeah, by sophomore year, I was kind of like, oh, I think I want to be the... I didn't know what I was doing, to be honest. That okay. was like 90s, you know, mm-hmm. early 90s. So there was no playbook for, you know, how to get to Hollywood. And I wasn't even thinking about that. Mm, I mean, okay. I love like Spike Lee and like mm-hmm. the, um, the black film explosion that was happening at the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I, I hadn't co- quite connected myself to it yet. Okay. I was just like, um, I want to write. This is therapeutic. This is fun. This mm-hmm. like makes me feel alive. So um, I think I chose journalism because I just thought, oh, it's writing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But I wasn't thinking like past that right right so I, I i did the play and the reception we got was just tremendous oh wow the, yeah we put the play on okay um and it was just tremendous and so i became a journalism major mm-hmm. and then thought i wanted to be a reporter really and so i oh you would have made yeah, a good you didn't reporter know that, huh? i didn't know that you would oh let me tell you oh girl i was a terrible reporter no I was a terrible, for real I, the way you be getting to details no there's no way there's no mm-hmm. way. What? No, because you have to be um, assertive. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, and you, like, I did an internship at a local, one summer I did an internship at a local news station in Toledo, and they were like, okay, we're going to send you on a bank robbery, like, go find out what happened. Child! <laughs> yeah, and I was like, uh, okay. So they gave me the mic and the cameraman, and girl, the police chief yelled at me. He was like, get your ass out of here. Like, I crossed the line. <laughs> Hey, wait, what? I crossed like the crime, the yellow crime sticker. So I did something wrong. And he got the yelling at me. And I was like, I couldn't get the information. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? And I was just like, he scared me. I just didn't, I just didn't have enough agency. I don't know. Oh I just didn't God. feel confident enough. So I, oh. it just scared me. I, I just got scared out the profession. I was like, uh, <laughs> So Girl, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about that later. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I was a terrible reporter. I, you know, as aggressive and like confident as I am now, I just was like, he yelled, he said no, so I'm done. And I was just like, oh, this is too much. So, oh Jesus. Okay. So yeah, so that was short lived, and then two journal. Uh, writing for a news station it wasn't creative uh-huh. it was really mm-hmm. just taking Template. things off the ap yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. take news stories off the ap and kind of rewrite them in your own words mm-hmm. but it's not very creative so mm-hmm. i was just like ah, i don't want to do this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so i kept making um i made a film a little documentary about this guy's life and mm-hmm. that you know I, I i just realized i wanted to do creative writing mm-hmm. um so I thought about going to New York and applying to film school because I heard this, my roommate at the time said, I think I'm going to go to film school um, like Spike Lee did. And so I was just like, yeah, me too. I just, <laughs> I was just randomly doing stuff. And, um, but I couldn't afford NYU right. and New York was too expensive. Most of us can't. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then every grad school that had a good film program, they wanted you to do take the GRE, and I refused to take any more tests. Like, I was at the point where I was like, I'm not taking any more tests. Right, like, right, right, right. I've been testing since I was, like, in the fourth grade. Mm-hmm. I'm done. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so Columbia College was the school that I found. Okay. Um, it was very new at the time. Okay. Nobody really knew about it. They had one building on Michigan Avenue. Mm-hmm. I passed by that Chicago. many times, yes. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. Now it's a whole state-of-the-art you know, college program, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it wasn't at the time. And they gave me a whole bunch of money. They gave me a scholarship. Oh, wow. Okay. And that's a private school, right? I don't know. It's a liberal arts. Yeah, I guess it is. Yeah. I okay. don't know what Columbia is. That's a good question. Okay. I'm not sure. Okay. But um, they gave me a scholarship and, you know, they just made it easy. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay, cool. I'm coming there. I'm mm-hmm. going to be a filmmaker. Okay. Um, So I, I graduated from Eastern and um, decided I was going to be the female Spike Lee, and I'm going to go to film school. Mm-hmm. And I got to film school and loved Chicago. Mm-hmm. Didn't really like film school. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it was a lot. It was too much manual labor for me. Like, <laughs> it was really? Like, what do you mean? Girl, it was hauling cameras and light Oh, okay, and, okay. Um, running around the city shooting films. And I just didn't want to do it. I just was, you know, I was kind of girly like I right was right like, right you right. want me to carry what you right know, it just was in cold weather and do you think that that deters a lot of women not looking back on it and what you've seen in Hollywood and who directs not really not really no I just think it was just me okay like just okay I just didn't want to do all that manual because I was finding what I realized now is that I was finding where I wanted I knew I wanted to be in entertainment mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying right right but I, I so I was being drawn towards cameras and mm-hmm. writing and stuff, but I hadn't found where my place was. Gotcha. So I just think that time was just me saying, nope, not it. Mm-hmm. Nope, not it. Mm-hmm. It's part um, of the journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's part of the journey. I, I tell my nieces that all the time. My one niece who's always like, I don't know what I want to do. I'm like, you'll find it. Just mm-hmm. relax. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you'll. Right. It doesn't come to everybody quick. Some people right. get it right. quick. Right, right, right. Yep. Some people don't. And I was one of those people where it just didn't come quick. Mm-hmm. It just, you know, it came with a lot of, nope, that ain't it, that ain't it, that ain't it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, um, so yeah, I, I went through grad school, but I wanted the degree. I was like, okay, I should probably get this degree since they're giving me money to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the end, I was just like, I don't want to be a filmmaker. And Columbia was very much like about independent filmmaking. So mm. it was about making movies that people may or may not see. Mm. About um, scraping together money, getting investors. Mm. Like I, I just wasn't, it, it just felt blue collar to me. And mm. my mom had worked in a factory <laughs> <laughs> growing up. So I was like, I'm not doing no hard labor. Like, so, I was just, so they didn't have like, since this was a uh, Columbia College, they didn't have like a journalism or a writing uh, degree or anything like they that? They did, but remember, I was done with journalism. Once I got the degree, I mm. was done with it. Okay, gotcha. I had, I had soured on it. Gotcha. Yeah, and you like, was going to say, creative. I'm going to go to film school. You kind of set on yeah, that at that time. Yeah, I want to be okay. creative. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. okay. I want to be creative. And so, I, um, and then I got there and was like, I don't want to be a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be a director. I thought I wanted to be a director. I didn't want to be a director. Um, and so, but what I did find was writing once again, and it just happened. Um, I had some girlfriends, we would go party and just have a good time in Mm -hmm. the city. 
like every weekend. They had like real jobs. Uh-huh. And um, <laughs> like I was in school, they had like real jobs. And we would always like just kick it on the weekends. And they love Homicide Life on the Street, this TV show. Oh, yeah. And they just, you know, <laughs> yeah. and we were just big TV watchers. Uh-huh. We just watched mm-hmm. a lot of TV, New York Undercover and just all these oh, different shows. Oh, yeah. That's right. I love, um, yeah. I love that show. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so my girlfriend was like, we should have a homicide party. Uh-huh. And so on Fridays, it would come on Fridays on NBC. Before we went out, we would watch Homicide and just because the episodes were so good. We would sit there and watch it and then go out afterwards. And um, I was like, dang, this I just fell in love with that show. I was like, that's what I want to do. Mm. Like there's people I, I knew enough to know that there's people who write that. Like, mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. wonder who they are. Like, I want to do that. Mm. And so through a series of events, I like called the production office in Baltimore and asked them to send me scripts. And then I actually ran into one of the writers on the Chicago streets mm. um, of Homicide. It was crazy. This guy named Daryl Wharton Rigby. I'm still Facebook friends with him. He had on a Homicide jacket, jacket just walking down Chicago. And I was like, where'd you get that jacket? <laughs> he, was just, <laughs> and he was just like, hi. I was just like, hi. <laughs> I was like, my name is Ayana. I was like, he's like, oh, I work on the show. I was like, what do you do? He's like, I'm a writer. I'm like, what? And I just like accosted him. Um, he tilts. He still tells. We laugh about it now. Um, but um, he was a writer on Homicide, and so you know I got to pick his brain. And but that was nothing but God. Like I was just getting all these signs that like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this is it. And um, why did you want the production company to send you scripts? Oh, because I didn't know what I was doing. I needed to know mm. like how are scripts written, mm. like how did they okay. come up with stories. That's I pretty to okay. See yeah, I would need to see like the um, you know how it was laid out. Mm-hmm. Like, I uh, you know I I wanted I knew it was a craft and I knew I needed to learn like how to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and I were you still um, at Columbia at this time when you? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was still at Columbia. They didn't have any TV writing classes. Ah, they had film that's writing what I was going to ask. Okay. Yeah, they had film writing classes, but to be honest, the professors there. I don't know. Like they just watched movies and was telling us what how they thought it would. Like mm. I didn't. They it wasn't great for that. Mm-hmm, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, at the time, mm-hmm, you know, it right. is now. Let me put but, a pin in something before you go. I don't want to forget yeah, yeah. it. What mm-hmm. What is the for our audience? What's the difference between TV writing and film writing? Mm-hmm. A lot of people oh, yeah. think they're the same and that you can kind of yes. go between both. No, they're totally different. So. To make it just simple, mm-hmm. uh, a movie is a two-hour movie. Like, okay. you know, a beginning, end, and then you're done. Okay. A TV show is, um, if you're talking about, let's say, drama, you know, the field, that, the side that I'm in, because mm-hmm. there's sitcoms, that's a whole other thing, but let's just talk about dramas. Okay. It's one hour, mm-hmm. right, with commercials, or mm-hmm. these days, you know. 42 minutes of streaming or whatever mm-hmm. it is okay but let's just say it's an hour and then each week is a different episode so you get time to tell the story over say 10 episodes or okay you know 20 at 15 episodes or whatever okay so you get to take your time and tell a story and characters reoccur so okay. you see them over and over again whereas okay. a movie is just two hours and you in and out so you gotta you know, really tell the story, story in that two hours okay yeah yeah, and TV, you know, they work as a team. There's, like, usually a team of writers um, that 
you know, that is working on a TV show because, you know, you need more than one person to tell a story over, say, 10 episodes or 13 episodes or 15 mm-hmm. episodes. You know, you need different writers taking turns writing writing those stories. Mm-hmm. So that's the major difference, like, in latest okay. terms. Okay, mm-hmm. okay, great, yeah. great, okay. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I think you were talking about how the professors really at Columbia College really didn't know how to do TV writing. No, there were no TV writing classes. There were some film writing classes, but they, when looking back on it, they weren't that good. Okay. And, okay. Um, and so, so I, you know, wasn't, so, so I knew, you know, I'm going to have to go to LA for this because mm-hmm. there was a professor there that um, was kind of um, guiding people uh, who wanted to go to LA through the process. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to go to LA and actually be in the business, mm-hmm. cause at the time Columbia was very kind of anti Hollywood. It was more oh. like independent filmmaking. Right. You talked like, about that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but there was one teacher that was like, look, y'all got to make a living. So mm-hmm. if you want to go to Hollywood and make a living mm-hmm. and make some money, mm-hmm. you got to be in LA and mm-hmm. build your career out mm-hmm. there. And so he would help people kind of transition. So I went to talk to him and he was like, yeah, you need to be in LA if you want to be TV writing. And I um, want to stop you right there too. When I met Ayana and we were both struggling in LA as far as like living there, not like struggling financially, but just struggling being there. I was like, girl, you need to just move to New York. She was like, girl, they don't have the same type of writing things. I remember looking, I was like, you can write for this Broadway play. You could do all of this. In my ignorance, I did not know that dramas were primarily in LA. Am I saying that right? Like, yeah, yeah. Like there's people just kind of clump writing all together, but mm-hmm. it's very different. Like writing a play mm-hmm. um, is very different and writing a play doesn't mean you're on Broadway, like uh, okay. it's just writing a play. Uh-huh. <laughs> like you can be <laughs> yes. off Broadway. You can be in your mama's basement. Okay. Like you can be, you can be Tyler Perry. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. It doesn't matter. Like it doesn't automatically mean that somebody's gonna see your work. So, okay. But writing a play is different. Okay. You know, a Raisin in the Sun is different than, you know, a movie. Do the right thing uh-huh. is different from a TV show. Empire. Like you know what I mean? It's like two different. Those are two different like formats okay. and um, skill sets that you're using. Now, it's not so different where people don't transition to all three, but you just can't step into it and just you. There, there is like a format to learn okay. and um, structure to to learn. So, because right now you got playwrights, you know, into TV. You got, you know, movie people in TV. So it, it's the lines are blurred, mm-hmm. but it, you can't assume just because you write plays, you write movies, you write TV. It's going to be the same. So basically the color purple is coming out near Christmas. The people that are wrote, wrote for the movie wouldn't necessarily be the same people that wrote it when it was on Broadway. Is that saying right, the same correct. thing? Okay. Yes, yes, okay. yes. Uh-huh. Like Alice Walker wrote the book mm-hmm. and then she actually... Um, translated the movie mm-hmm. that Steven Spielberg um, produced. Okay. So she that in that case because she was so tied to that work, mm-hmm. no writer was brought in to like you know to tr- to make the transition to mm-hmm. movies. Um, and then the Broadway play, I don't know who did that, but somebody I'm sure scripted that you know so okay. that it's a musical. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they had somebody script the movie which is really the musical that that the mu- the mu- the Broadway musical mm-hmm. and the movie I'm sure are going to be pretty sim- sim- similar okay yeah because it's 
you know, there's a sameness in that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a musical on stage going to a music. Got so it's going to be even different show. from the original movie. Yeah, it'll be different from the original movie, okay. but it'll probably be very similar to the stage play. Gotcha. Song. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thanks for clearing that up because I was mm-hmm. completely ignorant. I was telling my girl, I was like, "Honey, you just need to go to New York and just start writing." Okay. No, 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 no. no. Don't do that to no. No, I know. I know it was so bad. Send it my way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get but people, you know, think that all the time. I get, you know, emails or younger people saying, hey, you know, I'm in independent filmmaking or, you know, I'm writing a play. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to get this to, you know, I want to get this on TV. And I'm like, eh, it's, it's just, you just skip like 500,000 steps. Uh, <laughs> like, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. So. Understood. Mm-hmm. Understood. Okay. Yeah. So I'm sorry to keep interrupting you. So basically no, you had a, okay. you had a professor that said, you got to make some, y'all got to make a living. This is how you get to Hollywood. What happened after then? Oh, after that, so I was working in this investment banking firm in Chicago uh, part-time Okay. while I was in grad school, and I was making good money. I was making like $22 an hour, which at that time, that was like really good money. Mm. And and they, I looked on their contact sheet and saw they had an office in L.A., in Century City. Mm. So I went to the um, supervisor, and I said, you know, I, I really want to move to L.A. and, you know, try to make a career writing. Like, do you think I could get transferred? to the LA office and he was just like, Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> what what like were you doing? What were you doing in the investment firm? Oh, just doing like um gra- uh, investment portfolios for bankers. Oh, so okay. It's basically like graphic design. Okay. 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 Cool. They tell you how they want to set up and you just set it up. Okay. Um, yeah, but it just it paid really good money. And so yeah, I got to LA and they transferred me to the LA office. Really? And that easy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And so, because I didn't want to go be broke going to L.A. Yes. You see, there's a running theme here. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do hard work. I don't want to be broke. <laughs> you are a, cre- a, comfort, a creature of comfort, huh? Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just didn't want to be like working out. smart. Exactly. Yeah. Working smart, not hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. So, I don't mind hard work, but it needs... Yeah, it I know. Need, it, I, I, it, I, it limitations. I like, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I didn't like manual labor. Like, mm-hmm. Probably because my mom works so hard. Nah, yeah, my yeah. Mom works so hard that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that Absolutely. freaked me Absolutely. out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, she, I used to tell her all the time, I was like, you work too hard. And she yep. was just like... I have to. I'm oh like, my okay. gosh! Wow. That's <laughs> hey. That's that's the Midwest for you. All those factories and stuff. My dad, you know, he worked in a factory, and Jason's people they work factories down in South Georgia. So it's just a part of the the landscape, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I got to LA, and that's what I I, I got to LA in 1998. 1998. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you yeah. weren't there too much. Before I got there. Okay. Nah, 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 yeah, no, I was there in 1998 and I got staffed on my first TV show as a writer in 2000. That's two years now. That's unheard of even today. Really? Um, what happened? How'd you do that so fast? Um, yeah, what happened awesome. was that when I first got to LA, I got into, they had these, they had different writing programs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got into a program that Bill Cosby sponsored. Mm-hmm. It was called the Cosby program. And um, it was a writing program where, like, you know, you and other writers, you just, like, write scripts and talk about writing. And mm-hmm. they help you, you know, write your scripts. And then it also had an African-American history component. Okay. The idea was, like, for you to be, like, responsible in what you write. Mm. You know what I mean? I love and, that. 
Yeah, and so Bill Cosby sponsored it. And um, so that was the first kind of writing program I got into. Um, and, you know, you submit your work, your uh -huh. sample, your writing sample, uh -huh. and then they interview you and you get chosen or not chosen. So that was a big deal. I got into that program. That's really so happy. cool. Is that program still around? Uh, uh, with Bill Cosby? No, ma'am. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, I would have thought, <laughs> I would have thought somebody took it over, like, when he, like, you know, got locked up and stuff. But, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay. No, no, no ma'am. Okay. No, ma Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, no, it doesn't exist anymore. But, um, <laughs> um, but, um, but, yeah, and so they, yeah, and so then... So that was the first kind of year I got to LA. So I was I was working at the investment banking firm. I was in the Cosby program. Um, I was living at Villa Vicente. Yes, that's uh, where we uh, met. The Villa met. Vicente. Yes. Uh, and um, and then I went to work for I got a job at Stephen Boschko Productions as an assistant. And Stephen wow. Boschko is like yeah. you know the godfather of television. If oh, you know yes. anything about television. Yeah. So that was a really big deal, and I worked on this. Um, I was an assistant to one of the directors there, and I worked on the show called City of Angels. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, it was this hospital show. It was terrible, yep. but it was an opportunity. <laughs> Were you still working and, at the investment bank at the same time? No, I, I quit that. So I, oh. I left to go work for Stephen Boschko. Yeah, because I had, I had been there about a year, mm -hmm. and I was just like, okay – and I was um, doing my work, and then they had empty offices, uh, you know, adjoining offices. So I would go in there and write and write my writing samples and stuff. Um, but after a year, I was like, I'm going to have to get on the show, mm -hmm. you know, because mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, close enough to the business. Right, right. And so, um, and the way you start is, you know, by being an assistant to somebody. Mm -hmm. So I got that job as an assistant. Um and I wasn't a good assistant, but he was really nice. <laughs> he, he didn't mind. I was just a terrible assistant. I was just dropping calls. Like, <laughs> I just, yeah, I was, I was never good at that. But, um, but he was really nice. And I met, you know, I was in the business. It was the first show, actually, that Viola Davis started. Oh, okay. The first TV show. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. I used okay. to see her in craft services and house shoes with her scarf on. It was funny. Oh, hey, <laughs> hey. Viola was still the same person, hey. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, um, so anyway, yeah, so I got on that show, and I was only there a couple months when I got into the Disney Writing Fellowship. Now, that program is still in existence. Okay. And so that's a program where they pay you, like, $50,000. At the time, it was, like, $33,000. They pay you to just kind of apprentice. So you just write scripts. Um, you go to sitcoms and watch the tapings. Mm -hmm. You meet with development executives um, who will read your work and give you advice. And basically, they pay you a yearly salary so you could just focus on writing. So wow. that was a big deal when I got into that program. Yeah. So I got into that. How'd you hear about first... it? I don't even know. It was just kind of around and it's it it's, it had been around for a while because it started off um just um focusing on sitcom, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then it opened up to dramas. Mm. And the year it opened up to dramas was the year I applied. And I was the only drama writer and the first drama writer to get into that program. Wow. So what? Yeah. 
Yeah, okay. so it's still around. Because I asked because I want our audience to keep in mind, this is early 2000s, so the internet is not, like, hot. No, You're not getting no stuff internet. from the internet. So I'm asking mm-hmm. her these questions because this is how Gen X had to kind of go search for things, right? Yeah. We sometimes forget how we found yeah. information. How did we find out about things? We, I think, you know, that's a good question. You know, um, yeah. I think a lot of times, like I, when I was in LA and wasn't using the internet so much, you know, a lot of it was uh, library. A lot of it yep. was yellow pages. A lot yeah. of it was, yeah, yeah. yeah word of mouth. Yeah, of mouth. Uh, walking oh, into oh. a store that I saw or something like that. Newspapers were still big. I remember looking for my old car in the classifieds you see what i'm saying so anyway i just i bring that up for that purpose so yeah now mm-hmm. you're making me think how did i get to the homicide production offices I'm, i must have used the operator or something <laughs> i don't know what i did you know how you said you could uh-huh. call you called operator yep. yep 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 um that was our I version of the internet the disney program yeah i feel like there was an early version of the internet where I, I, I feel like I applied on the internet. Or mm-hmm. I don't know. Remember when AOL? Was yes. Yeah. We could do a few know. things on the internet, but you yeah. know, not mm-hmm. too, too much. And some of the, yeah. you know, a lot of the schools kind of had their own little internal networks and that kind of thing. Yeah, that's true. You know, so just depending on where you were, whether it was a school mm-hmm. employer, they may have their own kind little of intranet. little intranet. Little mm-hmm. intranet Right. But right. it was, you know, nothing like, like it is now. But but uh yeah, to me yeah, you make a, a great point. point about just I think as Generation X, we almost take our 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 uh, determination maybe even a little bit for granted. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of shoe leather you got to put in. Yes, stuff, right. Yes, and you just had to do it, and you know, and and now that you mentioned it, I just I remember spending all those hours and hours at the library just yep. looking up stuff. Yep, yep. And it wasn't all school stuff; it was job stuff. Mm-hmm. You just go, you mm-hmm. just kind of hung out at the library so you could get a bunch of stuff done. You might have had to have somebody come pick you mm-hmm. up. Oh yeah, you know, drop you off. You're riding the bus. You yeah, know, all that. You but you're just doing it, right? Yeah, because that's you that's just have, you had you to do it. it I mean, we were the first generation to have to become com- uh, very comfortable with computers. They threw us in there. You know, all of a sudden you just it was a computer sitting in front of you. You supposed to know what to do with it. So people forget that part. They forget that we were that hybrid generation where we had to learn how to do it the old way and the new way, you know? Yeah. So anyway, I digress. Uh, Very true. So you were, you got into the Disney fellowship and then yes. the first that, drama that writer. Kind of, okay. Yeah. And that kind of took, that kind of just, you know, sent me, um, that really is the, um, that was the point. opening. Yeah. That was the opening. Okay. Okay. And so I, um, they ended up placing me on a show called Gideon's Crossing. Mm-hmm. So that was part of the program is that they would find a show that you could go on to as a writer. Right. Um, and they would pay your salary. So Wow. Would, so so the show well rather the show they would pay the show to they would give the show your salary mm-hmm. so that it wouldn't cost the show anything mm-hmm. for you to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they wanted to keep you past like a few months mm-hmm. that you were there, then they would have to take on the burden of your salary. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a test, you know, probationary period. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I went on Gideon's Crossing and um, and as a writer in the fellowship. And then a couple months later, um, when it was time for me to leave, 
they felt I had done a good job, and so they kept me. And then the show paid for me to stay. Okay. And that was um, my first TV job. Wow. Why? Yeah. And, so- and ironically, it starred Andre Brower, who was the star of Homicide Life on the Street. No way. No, yeah. Full circle wow. moment. And the, a lot of the people behind the scenes of the show, some of the writers, directors, they had worked on Homicide. Okay. Uh, and that was the guy yeah. that you accosted on the street asking about his jacket. No, 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 no. Oh, okay. No, no that I, was a writer. Just, he was, he was a writer. writer. Okay, uh, okay, he was okay. A writer. Yeah, okay. Yeah, uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. And so you went, I'm looking at your LinkedIn right now, so I'm cheating. You went to LinkedIn? F- go to IMDb. <laughs> oh, sorry. Girl, you got all your shows. Well, some of your shows on LinkedIn. You got Strong Medicine, Family Law, Medical Investigation. Y'all, she oh, did yeah, private that... practice, okay? Hear me when I say. So proud yeah, of her. IMDb is more updated. Okay, let me go to the IMDb. Yeah. And I'm right going to link that in the show thing. notes to uh, your IMDb. I didn't know you had one of these. Oh, okay, that's real good. Okay, IMDb. Yeah. Okay, look at that. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. And so you knew without a doubt going through these shows that you still wanted to do drama. And no, at no point did you want to switch to comedy or sitcoms. No. Okay. No. I just didn't think I was funny enough and I I didn't like um I just yeah, no. I just didn't. I did, it was too much pressure to when you work on a sitcom, there's like pressure to at least back in those days, it's pressure to be funny. Mm. To like, you know, to give the joke, you okay. know, and get the, you know, and I I didn't I didn't I couldn't work under pressure like that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Here's her IMDb. Oh, it's a lot. She uh, hit the floor. Hannibal, Falling Star, Falling Skies, Empire, The Shy. Oh, you did the Best Man. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Oh, yes, I did. No, okay. Anyway, I'll be forgetting stuff. Okay, she done did a lot, y'all. I'm gonna put the link to her IMDb um, in the show notes. But through doing and this, power, power, and season power. Four. Okay, yeah, it's coming out next. It's not up there yet, but it's coming out next year. Okay, and they got something here upcoming. I, I I hope it's on the internet, so it's free for all. The Cotton Club. No, that's an old project. I don't know why that's still up there. It's the old project that died. Oh, it died. Oh, that should have mm. been good. The Cotton Club. It was. Yeah, it, it was so many shows that I've developed that haven't gone anywhere. That's the process. That's oh just the my God! Like that writing. is like. Uh, talk about that talk about the process of developing these shows and them not getting picked up what is that like for writers and how often does that happen just like you <laughs> wow wow a lot yeah at this point i don't know how many shows i've written mm. that didn't that didn't go forward i don't know it may be up to 10 9 or 10 now mm. um but yeah you you know you write it you invest in it mm-hmm. you work with people on it how do you pitch you know. it though how do you if you develop the show and you start writing it and you you know the pilot or whatnot how do you pitch that who do you pitch that to well, you pitch to, it just depends on, like, 
I mean, sometimes a studio may come to you and say, hey, we got a germ of an idea. Uh-huh. You know, can you expand on it? Do you, you know, do you think it could be a TV show? Uh-huh. How would you, you know, approach this or whatever? Uh-huh. And then sometimes you have the idea and you expand on it and find a studio or network to pitch it to. Uh-huh. Typically, you um, work with a studio uh-huh. um, on an idea. You know, they give you notes. You, you know, go back and forth, write the idea, and then you this with the studio, you take it to the network. Okay. You pitch it to different networks and see who will buy it. The studio basically finances the show, and the network licenses the show. That's the easiest way to describe it without getting too in the weeds. Okay, so a studio mm-hmm. would be like MGM Studios, and then the network would be like ABC. Yeah, but MGM Studios does mostly film. So, oh, okay. So yeah, what's a so, TV studio? Um, NBC Universal, and then the network is NBC. Oh, or, the, okay. Or NBC Universal Studios. Universal Studios can sell to ABC, NBC. Uh, they can sell Netflix. They can sell everywhere. So there are certain studios. Like Warner Brothers sells to everybody. So Warner Brothers is a studio, and uh-huh. they have shows you know, at on different networks. Yeah, at different. That yeah. sounds very um, like that's a real small pond. Um, it's getting smaller because of all these um, media consolidations. Mm-hmm. It's getting real small and real tricky, incestuous. Mm-hmm. Right, it reminds me like airlines. You know, it's like yeah, every yeah, industry. Which is why going you know part of the that. reason why we there was a double strike. I mean, I think that's mm-hmm. part of it. Is mm-hmm. The consolidation is just making it harder to make money. Ah, uh, because you keep having to go people. through the same uh, sources. There's nobody different. Yeah, it, it doesn't. It kills competition. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so when you kill competition, the money gets shorter. Mm-hmm. That's the easiest way to describe right, it. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. that's a great segue. What explain? I would love for our, um, our audience to understand exactly what the writers were asking for and why it was important and exactly what well if you know what the actors were asking for and why it was important because I think a lot of times people we view these shows we have no idea what goes into making them we have no Mm -hmm. idea the lives that people have to live or not live in order to be in Hollywood be in LA because it's not expensive I mean it's not it's not cheap it's not as expensive as New York in some respects but LA is it's hard it's it's hard. It's nice weather, but it's hard to live there long term. Oh and, yeah, I don't. I don't know why anybody would live in L.A. if they're not in entertainment. Yeah, personally. trust me. I used to tell you that. You used to tell there. me that because I was nowhere near Hollywood. Uh, Ayana gave me my glimpse into it. I was in a regular job with the city of Los Angeles, <laughs> and I will tell people: don't move there unless you have connections. Unless you mm-hmm. are in the industry, it's not. You're gonna feel so out of place. Unless you have family there, living a normal life in Los Angeles is almost weird. It's it's like Twilight Zone, you know? Mm. So, um, but yeah, what what can you explain to the audience about the two strikes and why they were important? And then at the end, what do you think we as consumers can do to help you guys moving forward? Um, How do I explain it in a way that's like simple and like, you know, not too in the weeds because, you know, I don't want to get too, you know, right. industry speaking right. confusing. Right. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about. But um, the simplest way is it was just about money. 
uh-huh. and about the fact that TV shows migrated from the networks, the ABC, the CBS, uh-huh. you know, the networks to streaming. Uh-huh. And when they migrated the formulas for how we get paid, um, uh-huh. vis-a-vis residuals, etc., cetera, uh-huh. um, that didn't change. And it also, it, 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 and so that didn't change. And so when it got to streaming, we're, we weren't making the money that we were making before. Right, on the network. network. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh-huh. So a new formula, a new structure needed to be established. Uh-huh. And it hadn't been for many, many years. Uh-huh. We were just fumbling through it. And, uh-huh. you know, it was um, getting harder and harder to make money. And we know they're making money, but the money's not getting to us. It's because not trickling down. We don't have the right structure, uh-huh. right, in streaming. And so the strike was all about recalibrating uh-huh. so that we account for the fact that people don't sit and watch a show at 8 p.m. on Wednesday night anymore. No. Most people. That's right. That's Most right. people watch shows when they feel like it. Mm-hmm. On, on demand. Their phones, on their yep. devices, yes. on demand. Mm-hmm. So we have to have a structure that can compensate us mm-hmm. fairly um, that accounts for that. Gotcha. That's the simplest way to put it. Okay. Put it. Does, that, does that make sense? That makes sense. And that's for writers and actors, right? Yeah, yes. Actors too. And then they all, and then there was an additional piece, which was the AI stuff. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Okay. Yeah, and that... That, that issue was important to writers, but it was really important to actors because basically what the studios were trying to do is like take an actor's face and likeness mm. and just use it in perpetuity Ooh, without giving Lord. them any money. Mm. Yeah, like it's crazy what they were trying to do. So, Why would anybody think that that was... Okay, yeah, we because they greedy. That is greedy. crazy. Yeah, agreed. But it's okay. Mm. They figured it out. I mean, you know, the people stood up and said, not today. Not today. I mean, mean, just as a citizen, right, of the world, would you want somebody to use your likeness to get on a plane? Just because you can't, you know what I mean? It's like, can people pay for your likeness to do what they want to do? Like, can we pay someone that... Well, that's what we're seeing all around the country, right? That's why so many, you're seeing so many strikes. I mean, it's because the greed has just gotten out of control. It's like, we're going to take everything and leave the scraps for you guys to fight over. And it's just like, no. No, yeah. That's not how this works. Exactly. We are the workforce. Exactly. Mm -hmm. The workforce Mm -hmm. stood up and, you know... Yes. And and fought back and won. Yes, go proletariat. Okay, so (laughs) let me me ask you this. what can we as consumers do to make sure that, um, do we just stop watching? Um, oh, no, 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 no. We back at work. No, no, no. Watch as much TV. No, as I'm TV saying like, if this were to, if this were to, God forbid, if this were to happen again, like how do we support you guys going forward? Uh, if you feel like you're, you're not getting paid, you know, like what can, let's say the strike was still going on. What would have been the most, uh, the best thing for consumers to do to support you? in a strike i don't i don't i don't know just like you know just just you know a lot of people posted stuff on social media Mm -hmm. and just you know um supported us i mean it was like the you know the country everybody knew about it and everybody was kind of on our side which was different from our last strike so i don't think there was anything more to do other than that Mm -hmm. like signs shows of you know signs of support and 
uh, shows a solidarity because we don't want people to stop watching TV because once we get off strike, we want you to watch TV. You know what I mean? So you don't want to like have people boycott (laughs) TV shows. Right, right, right. still needed to be alive so we have something to do. Understood, Um, understood. Yeah, yeah. But that's that's pretty much it. And and people were, you know, the news media was... um, reported fairly mm-hmm. and um and i think when it was all said and done like i run into people now and i say i'm a writer and they say oh did you guys get what you wanted you know uh, what i mean like okay. people were like on our side okay so, okay yeah okay. that's a good yeah. thing because that puts pressure on the studios to do right okay now jason you jump in here at any time because i act like i don't even know how y'all i'm asking all these questions <laughs> Um, <laughs> you sure do. I'm, I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I guess because we, you know, we end up talking about other things other than your career when we do talk. But yeah, I, that's true. We don't talk about my career. We don't really talk about career. We talk about all the stupid stuff. But Dating, yeah. child, men. Yeah. That's what we're <laughs> Men's is this. Great, great segue. Great segue again uh, from from Ayana. I. What do you? What we talked a little bit about this. Why would anybody move to L.A.? And I can say from my experience, I moved because when I graduated, uh, we were uh, in the middle of like a slight recession. And so mm-hmm. all of us were applying for the same jobs in Georgia. And I was like, bump this, I'm about to leave. You know what I mean? If I don't leave now, I'm never getting out off this plantation. And so I applied <laughs> to jobs in Cali- um, yeah, California, New York, and Chicago. L.A. called first. I didn't know why. Now I know why. Because... They just don't have enough planners. They don't, they, they make a lot of regulations. As we all know, California is used to first, usually the first to make any type of environmental change. Right. And so with environmental change, usually comes a planner that's got to plan out that change, whether it be air, uh, water or, or transit, whatever it might be, qu- quality of life. And they just don't have enough planners. And when they do get the planners, you're only going to make so much. You're only going to make so much. And so you can't, move on with your life in LA. You can't buy a house. It just gets to that point, just as a regular nine to five type person. And so I loved it out there just because I like outdoors. I like, you know, the water. I like the hiking and the biking. I know Ayana is just like dying laughing, but you know, I like the yoga and stuff like that. But, and there's a lot to do, but if you don't have family out there, it can be very lonesome. And that's what I found. I thought my parents were going to move out there. I don't know why I thought that. And then a lot of my girlfriends got married. And so I was just like, what is going on? So Yana and I were kind of left out there. She had her own plight. But do you can you tell us a little bit about your experience living in L.A., dating in L.A.? Because she stayed for 20 years plus. I stayed for five and was like out, okay? So what was that like? What do you want our audience to know? Oh, Lord Jesus. <laughs> no, look, L.A., you know, I, you know, L.A., like I say, like like the young kids say, L.A. owes me nothing. Mm-hmm, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was good for my career. And um, I met some great connections. I met you. Mm-hmm. you know, I have other lifelong friends mm-hmm. that I met out there. But I would tell anybody, particularly any black woman, like if mm-hmm. you, you know, want to be married want a family if you think you may want that Mm -hmm. you know that's not the place to be right in my opinion right right um i think you know la is actually quite hostile to black women Mm. when it comes to Mm. dating right um and agreed yeah (laughs) and i just think there's other places where you know you can that, that are just more welcoming mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and it was hard you know what i mean when i'm looking back on it 
it, it was hard. You know, I, I, it was just hard. It was hard dating. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it was cause, cause people don't come to LA for that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They come to chase dreams. Mm-hmm. So, Fast life. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So people are very much invested in themselves. You know, in themselves and in their dreams. And I'm, I'm me too. Mm-hmm. I was too. But at a certain point, you know, I was doing well and it's like, okay, I'm ready to like cuddle up mm-hmm. and you look around and you like, you know, <laughs> not a lot of choices. Yeah. You're like yeah, you end yeah. up dating people that you would have never dated. Never. You know no, when I say never, <laughs> never dated. Yeah, you like, you know, how I end up, up here, and and am I? Di- I be like, was I that desperate? Dang! I know, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So after twenty um, five years there, and Oof, um, you did a bit getting, yeah, and I know a prison bit. <laughs> 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 no, no, but I, you know, I got married, but you know, I I met him. I didn't meet him in L.A. I met him on the East Coast. Right, right, right. But um. But even that, you know, who I married, I, I feel like that was, you know, a product of being in L.A. Mm-hmm. You know, I probably wouldn't have married him, you know, per right, se. Right, 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 right. Um, but, um, but, you know, like, you know, life is, you know, it, it everything happens for a reason. For a reason, right, right, yeah. right. So you right. just have to move with that. But, um, but yeah, but it was time for me to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and luckily, um, you know, one of the, uh, it was a lot of downside to the pandemic. Mm-hmm. You know, rest in peace to all the people who, who perished. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The upside was that um, remote work, you know, yes, and Zoom and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. It just changed the way people work. And so yes. I, I could finally, I always knew I wanted to leave, mm-hmm. but I could finally see the way out, the mm-hmm. path out. Mm-hmm. And so I moved to the East Coast. And, um, and you know, is it better? Is it better? What you want to tell people? Is it better? Is the dating better? (laughs) It is better. And I will say this, you know, I still haven't found the person Mm -hmm. and it has its challenges, Mm -hmm. um, here, you know, after being here a year, but I feel seen, Yes, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Appreciated, Um, loved, recognized. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, you know, black men speak. Yes, honey. Um, you know what I'm saying? It's because, a much more yeah. welcoming environment. Yes. And, um, yeah. It's not like that in L.A. A lot of people don't know that. And I think I would like to add that if anybody's thinking about moving to L.A. and you are a woman of color, um, particularly a darker hue, um, and you're not like very, very fair skin or you don't look like the typical. You know what? She being real nice, child. It's colorism out there. Yes, it's it bad. is. It it's is. Bad. It's, it's, it's really mm. bad. People don't talk about it. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's pretty bad. It's And it's hard. And, and it, it is yeah, hard. hard. Because if you just look like a regular, regular black if girl. If you was like a regular black girl from Georgia and you was cute in your high school. Okay. Just imagine in L.A. Everybody who's cute from the 50 states, who was the cutest, they all went to L.A. Yes. Like, all the cute girls <laughs> went to L.A. Yeah, and, and I wasn't and, the cute girl. I was the nerdy girl and found myself right. out there. And I was like, Lord Jesus, what have I gotten myself into? Right, exactly. You know? So if you wasn't like, you know, it's all, I always say it's all the, all the cute girls went to L.A. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, a lot of men want the lighter girls. Yes, they want light the skin, light skin, light yeah. eyes. Long hair, biracial, biracial, and yeah, uh, racially ambiguous is really, really big. 
And if you if you don't look like that, because that's what Hollywood really is pulling up on, right? It's European, yeah. yeah. European centered, and so um, because you know you think about people in the videos, people that get the casting in the movies, that you know they if you look like Zendaya, you gonna be fine. Oh yeah, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Uh, But a Nia Long. Maybe not so much. It's the the pickings are slim. You know what I mean. You better you better off getting somebody. If I had to go back and do it again, go to the post office. Like look for a dude that's like driving for the post office and stuff. You need to start in the neighborhood. You know what I mean. And even then, people that are born there date each other. Like they don't yeah. they don't date out typically. You know they date somebody from their neighborhood. You know, uh, very few people. You know, there are some people from L.A. that end up at the AUC, the Atlanta University Center, because they want that experience. Because, again, people don't realize this. They think boys in the hood. No. (laughs) Black people only make up 13% of Los Angeles and 7% of the state of California, which is the most popular. Well, that's what they said last. It might have changed with the last census with after COVID, right? We're going to see a lot of us move back. A lot of us moved yeah, out. Of, yeah, a lot of people left. I left a lot know, of people I, left. Yeah, and so we're going to see what this next census, what that's looking like. But the last time, it's been holding a couple of decades, about 7% for the whole state. This is the most populous state in the nation. And we only make up 7%. So you don't get to see a lot of who you are and represented in different areas. You know, So I would say, any again, anybody planning to move out there, be sure you have a tribe. Be sure you have a fam, some type of family, some type of friend group, because it can get lonely. It's beautiful. I always described it as a, you know, being in paradise, but in a straight jacket. Don't have nobody to do nothing with, but it's beautiful. You know, it you, is beautiful. It is gorgeous. Yeah, sure. um, but you be sitting there by yourself. You know, I've got uh, collections of Family Guy, and uh, what everybody loves Raymond because I will be sitting watching DVDs. At Villa Vicente, okay? Because <laughs> you ain't got nothing else to do, right? Nobody, your phone is dry, okay? It is dry, okay? So I do want to share that with everybody. I'm glad you shared your perspective, Ayana. I do want to, in kind of relation to that, what was it like being a black writer in Hollywood? I imagine that that was also, you didn't see many faces that looked like you. No, uh-uh, no. I mean, it's all, you know, isolating can be. But there is a community of, you know, black writers. Mm-hmm. And we try to stick together and, you know, encourage each other and stuff like that. So I feel like there's more community there, actually, okay. outside of there. Yeah, I found more community there Okay. Um, than outside of there. But, I mean, it's still, you know, it's a, it's a tough business. Mm. You know, Hollywood is a tough place. Mm. You hear the stories. It's real. You know, mm-hmm. it's very real. Is it, you know? uh, is the writing landscape male dominated or is it half and half? It's, uh, it's white male dominated. White male dominated. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. okay. Yeah. Okay. White male dominated. I mean, you know, it's, it's trying to change, but actually a- after the strike, it's probably going to contract and mm. I don't know what it's going to look like. Wow. You know, we'll see. Wow. 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 Yeah. And do, that's my question. When there's a black centered show or a show or, that has like more than one that has kind of like a storyline that deals with black people. Do they seek out black writers or do they just let it roll with who's on the contract? It depends, you know, it depends. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It could go either way. (laughs) 
Because I guess I'm asking that question because I, I feel like sometimes the writing is like, that ain't what we do. We don't be doing all of that. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, there, no, there's definitely, I mean, there's more pressure now to at least hire some black people, you mm-hmm. know, kind of after George Floyd. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people became more conscious right. of who they're hiring mm-hmm. and the optics and stuff like that mm-hmm. and, you know, welcoming other voices and experiences. But, um, so there's some change, mm-hmm. you know, from when I first entered the business, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's still a struggle, you know? Right, mm-hmm. right. Right. And even Do when you, they hire you, that don't mean they're going to listen to you. Oh, you know? yeah. honey, don't we know right. about that? Okay, that, I was just about to, to, to ask you a follow-up on that. In oh, particular. yeah. I mean, do you feel like, you know, as I'm sure we're all experiencing and seeing this in the wake of George Floyd and just the blowback now, right? Mm-hmm. In the blowback phase, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> do you see it really taking hold or is it kind of like, oh, okay, we're doing... We're going to bring in some, we're going to sprinkle some different colored faces around for different things, for optics, but, you know, we're not really, we're not into Oh, yeah, I think they're done. I think white people yeah. are done feeling guilty. I think it's done. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. <laughs> it's back to normal. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You should have got what you could get yeah, through get that window. Get, get it while you can. <laughs> get it while you can, but I think for the most part, I mean, I think there's some genuine you know, some genuine, uh, as they say, allies out there mm-hmm. who, you know, became more aware and more conscious and they will stay conscious. But for the most part, no, I think um, it's over. And I think, you know, in terms of our strikes, I think there's about to be a squeeze. And, you know, I think they will close ranks. They will make sure, you know, you know, we don't have to pay all y'all. Me, yeah. Yeah. If, if it's between me, you know, help giving, you know, giving me, yep. a, if, we're, if you got equal skill and it's between me getting a job so I can pay my mortgage and Chad getting a job so he can pay his mortgage. I think they may choose Chad. Not Chad. You know okay. <laughs> Chad, Chad is like all white guys. <laughs> but yeah, I think that is going to become a reality. You know what I mean? So yeah. we'll see. I'm hoping for, you know, the best. I'm hoping that because a lot of black programming happened Mm -hmm. during that time. Mm -hmm. And um, and there's an audience there that needs to be served. Mm -hmm. But how much of it will it be peak TV the way it was pre-strike? Probably not. Because the contraction was already happening. Mm -hmm. It was already too much TV. Like, Mm -hmm. it was so many shows, you can't even watch it. You just discovering, like, oh, I didn't even know this show existed. (laughs) Wow. Wow. I think all of that is going to slow down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because they weren't, the studios weren't making any money, too. Wow. A lot of these shows just crashed and burned and came and went. Right. Well, I feel like sometimes, like I think I said before, it's about the same thing. Nothing is, nothing is, like innovative. Nothing is like different. You know, I found a few like on HBO Max that are kind of weird, but mm-hmm. I just feel like on mainstream like Hulu and Netflix, everything is pretty much the same thing. I think that's why a lot of people get tired of cable and they went to streaming and then now streaming is looking the same. I'm like, Lord, and I do get lost in the sauce with a mm-hmm. lot of these shows. You know, like. I, I wasn't a big TV watcher to begin with, but nothing's like pulling me in and I'm a nerd. So I'm always like, why aren't there more documentaries? You know what I mean? Like I find myself staying on PBS just because they feel like they're the only ones putting out documentaries. Like for example, um, on networks such as, well, it's, it's Disney now, but remember when TLC and the discovery channel were all documentaries 
And like, mm-hmm. they're all like reality type shows yeah. now. <laughs> I mean, everything's a reality. And that was the other thing. Like, how does, how do things change with all these reality shows? You know what I mean? How does that change for writers and change for like actors, like actual actors in the guild, you know? Mm-hmm. Does does that does that water it down? Does it make the networks feel like oh we don't need like real sitcoms? We don't need real dramas. We got reality shows, which I think is just the formula is just overplayed, in my opinion. But that's just me, you know. Yeah, no, I I don't think um no I I think the reality show thing is balanced out where you got scripted, you got reality, and we're all coexisting. Um, I don't think one has pushed out the other. Okay. Yet. Yeah, I think it's kind of found its equilibrium. Okay, okay. I just, yeah. if I get one more Real Housewife, Lord have mercy. They go, next time, we're going to be like Real Housewives of Nebraska. I'm going to I'm gonna throw my TV. You hear me? <laughs> <laughs> but I guess that was my um, other question I had. Jason, jump in. You got any questions? I'm going to look back on my sheet here. I know I had a few. Um, but Yeah, I had one thought. You know, we were talking about different parts of the country and how they can be more I guess more supportive of of certain aspects of the industry right Mm -hmm. and so I was wondering about you know there's there's all of this kind of talk now about how Atlanta is like the new Hollywood ah that's a good question and it's like Mm -hmm. what is is that real or is that just sometimes I'm kind of wondering like is that just marketing speak you know spin around here just because you know we've got all these tax credits going around (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or, and I know that there's a lot of there there are a lot of shows in production here. I mean, you can see it, right? You know, streets get closed and you know traffic jams happen because they're filming stuff. So it's happening. But I mean, as far as this whole idea of Atlanta is like this this alternative Hollywood, is that really a real thing? I'm I've been wondering from those who are in that world what what their feeling is about that what what do you think about that is that a serious thing or is is that just kind of like a is it just one person (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, no i um i don't know completely because i mean from my vantage point i think um the business of hollywood still happens in la uh, Mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. okay um but i think because of the tax credits a lot of people are shooting in la and so a lot of crews get hired there and, you know, local people and stuff like that. Um, but outside of like Tyler Perry, um, I think the business of writing happens in LA. Now there is a lot, it seems to be like a lot of independent filmmaking, a lot of internet, you know, shows and stuff like that. Like there's a lot of activity, you know, mm-hmm. outside of Tyler Perry and say the Hollywood system. Um, you know, I know a few, you know, guys that's making films and putting them up on the internet and they have viewers and ads and stuff like that. So I know it's very vibrant in that way. Um, and then you got the whole reality show, you know, Mm -hmm. thing, but the business of Hollywood still takes place in LA. Okay. Um, Okay. Yeah. But, but I think Atlanta probably gives, you know, if you, uh, uh, you know, a black person who wants to create content Mm -hmm. tv shows Mm -hmm. whatever you probably can go to atlanta and you know and work and work your magic independently a little better than say if you try to do that in la gotcha gotcha yeah yeah makes sense Mm -hmm. makes sense gotcha and yeah i don't know if you can answer this but um when people do come to atlanta and they do 
work for the the conglomerate here. Let me just say that. Does because a lot of people say that you know Tyler Perry does offer up opportunities for actors and actresses that we haven't seen in a while, right? That just mm-hmm. kind of go to the wayside. Mm-hmm. In Hollywood, as a writer or an actor, if you know, do does that look good on your resume? To be does what look good? Like to 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 be in a Tyler Perry film, to be writing for Tyler Perry, or does that look like that second rate? What is how does how do people view that? Do they view anything in Atlanta like serious, or do hey, you're not serious unless you have something coming out of these big networks? Yeah, I, you know, I tend to think, I think, you know, years ago we thought it didn't help, but I don't know. I tend, because um, there's so much material out there, mm-hmm. and shows, and you got the internet, mm-hmm. and you just got people creating stuff all over the place. Mm-hmm. I tend to think it does help. Okay. I'm not saying like people, you know, like are looking for it. It just shows that, um, I don't know. On one end, I think it, it helps on one end. I think it doesn't. It just mm-hmm. depends on who's looking at it. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. Okay. You know what I'm saying? It depends on whose eyes are are watching. Be- I think it depends. I guess right? the the vein of my question comes from like when we apply for jobs, they always told us that if you go to an HBCU, it's looked at differently than if you went to a pro- uh, a predominantly white institution. You know what I mean? I wonder. Well, I mean, but 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 eight, to me, H, the people I know that went to HBCUs, a lot of them. Um, got their first jobs in corporate America because the HBCUs have better like pipelines. Yes, and, like, mm-hmm. exactly. You know what I'm saying? And like, so I don't know if that's always true. You it's not I mean? true, like, but that's what they make you. They will tell you. That's right. what they, they will, will tell you, you. Right. exactly. Right. Especially right. when you you're coming out of high school and you're applying for jobs. Or no, you're coming out. You're applying for schools. They're like, oh no, right. you should right. go to a PWI. It's going to be better, better exposure. It's not. It's not until you get in it that you realize. Eh, okay. You know, it's, it's right. really not. Right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, okay, that that was where that line of questioning was. I mean, I, from. I think I'm of the mind these days where you take the job where you can get it because it's gonna give you experience. Mm-hmm. It's gonna put you in the business. You mm-hmm. know, you're you know you're getting to see what you know production is like. You know what everybody does. Like I just think, you know, get in where you fit in. Right. And let the chips fall where they may. Gotcha. That's kind of. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Well, we're all, we're a little over an hour. I do have one other question that I think, um, would bring some, some shed some light on things that, again, my girl has done everything. Okay. Writing, um, you know, trying to be a reporter, you know what I mean? Living in LA. Um, one thing that I would like to bring to light is her, uh, experience adopting. She is the mother of a wonderful, wonderful son. And, uh, what is he for? No, four? Three. Three? Mm-hmm. Okay. Three. Mm-hmm. And so what do you want to share with our audience? Again, this is the next stop is the best stop podcast. So we want people to understand how you can be better in your next, uh, uh, your next step. So what do you want people to know about adoption? Oh, just that it's a viable option. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that it doesn't feel less than giving birth. I mean, I've never given birth, but from what I understand from mothers, you know, you can have some of the same challenges connecting with your child yes. when you birth them. Yes. Or, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's like all the different things people worry about when mm-hmm. you hear the word adoption. Mm-hmm. 
those things can exist if you birth a child as well. Okay. And so, um, it, you know, it was a, uh, it was a, a great experience in the end, but mm-hmm. it was, a, it was, a it process. was a journey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a journey. It was a process. And, you know, we did private adoption, so it was very expensive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, it's, you know, I wish, I wish there, you know, especially with all these abortion, um, rights, you mm-hmm. know, conversations, I wish we could have a conversation about adoption and making adoption more affordable. Yes. Since, mm-hmm. you know, since they want us to keep babies. Yes. Um, right. You know, if, if they're going to be here and someone can't take a mom, a mom can't take care of them. Right. We could make adoption. To me, that should be going, that conversation. That's should be excellent. Hand hand. Yeah. That. You know, we'll make adoption affordable because right now it's not affordable for most people, Mm -hmm. Um, particularly black families. You know, it's still a high class um, route Mm -hmm. to go. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Most of the families that we ran into were um, white couples, Mm -hmm. male and female or two male Mm -hmm. or two women Mm -hmm. with a lot of disposable income. Right. Um, And, you know very few um black families right very few do you think the black families are opting to adopt from foster care instead well culturally um black people tend to take in family members Mm -hmm. family members Mm -hmm. um so they kind of unofficially adopt Mm -hmm. um you know we still have that village mentality Mm -hmm. so you know grandma taking care of you know her grandbabies because mama's Mm -hmm. you know locked up Mm -hmm. on drugs or something like that like we you know or or whatever or you know mom and dad works a lot and Mm -hmm. so you know you at tt's house or whatever so we tend to do it that way but there are a lot of couples because um black women like a lot of women are um working mm-hmm. longer right and having babies later mm-hmm. um and you know black people black women have challenges with dating and finding suitable mates mm-hmm. and stuff like that it it it's I, I i know that there are more couples who want it to be an option i mean who who want a baby but don't necessarily see adoption as an option for them it's mm. just not on their radar why do you think that is I just think culturally, we just, it's just, we just not, you know, you just, you could have babies, you know, black women been having babies when they get ready for centuries. So like, why would that even, like, right, right, right. It's not right. even an issue, but when you become like, you know, honestly, I was in LA a very long time. Dating was hard, you know, couldn't find a suitable mate, mm-hmm. went through my thirties, blew kind of my thirties, my good years, right? Mm-hmm. By the time I did get married, in my early 40s and went into fertility mm-hmm. it was late mm-hmm. it was late and so i spent a lot of money on fertility treatments um and people don't i think there's more information out there now but like when you get over 40 it is hard to have a baby yes. and yeah. and you know i find sometimes that black women don't want to hear that because mm. mm. grandma had a baby at 49 but that was There's her ninth baby. Some, I, 
Yeah, and there's always some outlier story yeah. where yeah. I know somebody who got pregnant at 48 mm-hmm. naturally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but for the most part, yeah, it is. First of all, one thing I learned going through fertility, it's very hard to have a baby. Period. Like yes. a lot of stuff got to go right. Yeah, it's a like miracle. A lot of stuff. It's a miracle mm-hmm. when anybody gets pregnant and can carry a baby to term. It is an absolute miracle because what fertility does, it, it makes you very aware of all the stages that need to happen yes, yes. to get to a live birth. So I feel like there's um, a lot of resistance mm-hmm. and it's probably because also we're very religious. Mm-hmm. So, and I did it too, which is, you know, well, God just gone and it's just gone and he may, or he may not, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, he may give you the common sense to go use technology right. or adoption to figure that situation out. You just never know. But um, it is very hard to get pregnant over 40, extremely hard. Mm. And the celebrities you do see getting pregnant, what they're not telling you is that they're using egg donors. Mm. They're they using, you know, they, they tried sperm three, donors. four times and it failed. Okay, You know what I'm saying? They're using sperm donors. Like it's a lot of that's going into, mm. say, a Janet Jackson having a baby at 50 or Halle right. Berry or whatever. Right. They're not telling you that. Um, or Gabrielle Union, you know, they're not telling you how many times they went through IVF or did artificial insemination, how mm-hmm. many miscarriages they had, how many times it didn't work. They're not telling you that. Maybe so, that's why Holly Berry kids don't look like her. Anyway, I'm probably sorry. don't because when you get, I mean, unless you saved your eggs, mm-hmm. when you get to a certain age, you have to use egg donors. You wow. just have to. You don't have any more eggs. Like wow. men regenerate sperm like all the time so they did yeah yeah so they did right women get a certain amount of eggs when they're that born and that's the eggs you need yeah. to get pregnant with yes <laughs> like, exactly. so, and the worst ones are at the end yeah the ones yeah. are not yes. so you know the little yeah, slow they're ones yeah they're because i was able to produce eggs but they were at the end of the day they were deformed mm. you know so um so anyway so so adoption, you know, and I had already wanted to adopt and mm-hmm. thought about that as a little girl. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't foreign to me. Right, right. But um, but I feel like some of us, like I, you know, I even had a friend, you know, was, you know, at 48. I won't say who it is. And I was like, yeah, you know, girl, you better hurry up if you want to adopt. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, you know, it'll happen for me when it's supposed to happen. And I'm like, okay, Ooh, girl, you know, mm-hmm. like 48, like even adoption cuts off at 50. Most agencies really won't work with you. Yeah. They won't work with you. If you're 50 and older foster care may, but not private adoption, not agencies. private adoption. Cause they can yeah. choose. They got other families to choose. Well, from. they just have a cutoff because they want to make sure you're around. But well, that's true. To take care of the child. The child. Yeah. Right. To take care of the child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So interesting. Um, yeah, for a lot of so 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 we just gotta be you know um I feel like that's like my new ministry yes um, yeah and it's <laughs> needed about yeah. It. yeah yeah just it's needed just so that it's not something that feels foreign mm-hmm. or um you know or uh yeah unattainable exactly exactly that's a that's a great uh thought there and I think because we have these same conversations you know, about getting older as women, black women, white women, you know, the incidence of breast cancer, the incident of cervical and ovarian cancer. Um, You know, they were talking, I was listening to this podcast yesterday where they were saying that there's a little smaller incident, higher incidence of breast cancer when you've uh, never breastfed, when you've never birthed a child, you know, uh, what happens when you're older 
and you got all this unused estrogen in your body, right? It's like your body's like, hey, <laughs> time to use me, you know, and I can actually attest to that too because I had some, um, you know, some non-malignant tumors grow. I had just so much growth. You know, estrogen is all about growth. It's supposed to grow a baby. So all these tumors were growing inside of me because my body was just, it was just like an excess of estrogen. And I had babies late, you know, um, by the grace of God. But so it's it, at 40, you know, and at 36, you know, so it's uh, definitely a conversation that we need to have, especially in our community. And it's easier to have a baby later when you've had one. When you've had one, exactly. Yeah, yeah, so I yeah. had two back to back, 36 and, and 40. So right. that was right at the end, you know what I mean? So it, and they, that was right after the time when I had all these tumors. You know, and all this growth inside of me, thank God they were like benign. But all of that, we, we sometimes we see the signs too late, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't until my friend, she was a nurse and she said, you know, you're getting all these tumors because you just got so much overgrowth right now. You need to use it. And we don't know how to have those conversations. They're not... <sighs> They cannot, sometimes they're not easy, you know what I mean? Because it, people feel shamed about their fertility. They feel shamed mm -hmm. that they haven't made certain steps towards a marriage or a partnership or babies, you know? And this is a whole nother conversation, but in the mm -hmm. black church, that's all they tell you as a black woman, get that degree. Don't mind him. He going to be there. You know what I mean? Get get your education, get your stuff together, buy five houses, be a landlord. You know what I mean? Be rich because, you, but you know, but they never tell you, hey, you can't wait that long. They they yeah. all they you they never tell you that. They just say keep yourself together for your husband. He gonna come. Jesus got him on the main line. You get out there and date and he a hoe. Yeah, but they don't. Yeah, they and they yeah and they not talking to the men. That's the they thing. not talking and to yeah. the men. I was about to say, yeah, exactly. you know, and you get out there and you be on Front Street. You know what I mean? Looking crazy. You know, I I was um this is kind of off topic, but kind of on topic. I was listening to or reading about Yvonne Orgy being a virgin. At 38, 39, you know, uh, which is her, her choice. I believe she's strong in her faith. Um, and I reading the comments, you know, from guys and how they view that. But yet the church tells you that's how you should be. And then you end up 38, 39, can't have no baby, you know, because you waited too long. Or you say, hey, I'm going to pray. It's going to be good. We got this, you know. So yeah, she need to go to Africa <laughs> What? <laughs> she need to go to Africa and get somebody. I'm like, girl, you better go to Africa. Well, well that's the, the last guy that she dated was what, years ago, pre-COVID. She was in love with him, seemed like, from the Instagram photos. But he was African. He was a former football oh, player. Uh-huh, yeah. Okay. I think she prefers someone in her culture. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, being a virgin that late, you know, I mean, that's rough. You know, it's hard. I don't it's know. It's hard like, when it's, you ain't a virgin. But, right, it's hard when you're not a virgin. Right, right. right. So I was listening. I think it was um, what two the Ocho Cinco and and uh, Shannon Sharp talking on a podcast, and Ocho said, "Hey, <laughs> Yvonne, Yvonne is the one you want, man. She is someone that's a virgin. She ain't had all these bodies because I guess Shannon had made comment about a previous young lady that had all these bodies. Right, I forgot her name, but anyway, bodies meaning have had sex with men." so many men whatever and he shannon was like no I, I want somebody that's got a little bit more experience and it's just like gosh you can't win 
you can't lose like which way you know what i mean you would think guys would want someone that's virtuous and that's pious and that saved herself but that's honestly not what they want so it's interesting as we tie that into the conversation about how long you wait for a baby right Mm -hmm. um and being upfront about that you know what i mean not that women black women are just kind of waiting it's just not having not having found the partner mm-hmm. and that's the conversation like how do we find the partner in the these times where it's hard for everybody to date you know what i mean yeah, where we're already hard. coming yeah. in at a deficit yeah. or what may seem like a deficit you know what i'm saying so i Yes, and I want to be clear. It's not just black women. Yeah, it's not. White women yeah, complaining, cult- too. Yeah. It's a cultural thing. It's a cultural thing. Yeah. It's we're, happening to everybody. And mm-hmm. we are not yeah. in our villages anymore. We're not in our small towns anymore. You know, most of our family got introduced by other family or got introduced in college. And there's some truth to that. Like, once you leave college, you don't have that type of social interaction and that wide of a net to cast anymore. You know, things get smaller. Interactions get smaller, and they get people start going into their little cubby holes, you know? Yeah. And so that's a conversation too. Uh, I think, but lastly, who was it? Elbany K. Williams talks about that. I mean, it was a lot, it was controversial, but she said, women, y'all need to get married right out of college. And oh yeah, I heard that after after she talked about the bus driver. After she talked about the bus driver. Which was so funny because I was driving down the street here and <laughs> and this guy, I was at the stoplight and this bus, the metro bus pulled up. And the bus driver, he was cute. He made a heart shape oh. and like winked at me. And I was like, pull over! I'm bus I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's just, uh, you know, and I know what she was trying to say. She was just like, don't let that be your end all be all. Just have a little bit more ambition on the bus. Right. I get that. You know, Yeah, I get it. She dug in too much on it, though. Yeah, I get what she was. I get what she was trying to say. She dug in too much. You know, but I also get what she's trying to say about, I guess, for women that do want to be married. It's not a bad thing to get married out of after college because honestly, what she's trying to say, honey, that network gets smaller after then. That's for all of oh, us, yeah. black, I white, or indifferent. Yeah, mm-hmm. if you it, look, he yeah. got all his teeth, and you know he ain't crazy, and y'all get along, y'all don't kill each other, and y'all can grow together, Psh, baby. Mm-hmm. It's not most people don't meet anybody after that. You know what I'm saying? So. And so you just got to keep that in mind, you know what I mean? And and if you don't want to get married, that's fine. You're not sure yet, cool. But if you do run up on a good person, man, don't overlook them, you know? Yeah, for sure. So, but Yana, this has been awesome. I feel like I want to invite you to be our third host, honey, because this was... <laughs> I really do. I, I mean, I know you got to go back to writing, but you really know how to tell a story. And that is an indicative of what you do, the love that you have for writing. And I have mm-hmm. thoroughly enjoyed you uh, on this episode. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Oh, thank you guys for having me. Yes. The yes. next stop is the best stop. The I next like stop that. is the <laughs> best stop. So class, what did we learn today? We learned, hey, don't move to LA. We learned B, don't be a news reporter. We learned C, don't be waiting forever to be having these kids and stuff. Drop one out at 20 if you can. No, I'm just joking. But we learned a lot today about how to move forward with your life if you want to be a writer, if you want to live in LA. Um, what that looks like if you want to adopt and i just can't thank you enough for the uh, uh the gems that you dropped today so thank you so much you're welcome yes yes and 
Tune in next time. Uh, Jason and I will be taking a, a left turn and we're going to talk about what the life of a cat owner. So that's in December. So stay tuned for that. Okay. <laughs> All right. You guys have a wonderful day and thank you everybody for listening and tune in for that next episode. Again, your next stop is your best stop. Have a great day. Right. Take care, everybody. <laughs> Just a little disclaimer for you guys, any and all opinions expressed during this podcast are those of our guests or Jason or myself, and they do not in any way reflect the position of the federal government. All right now, y'all.